comes from the book of Hebrews. We're looking at the hall of faith, the lineup, and we're coming now toward the last verses of that chapter. And in verse 32, as we've heard the rather detailed stories of Abraham and Moses and some others, the writer then says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The writer has been through quite a list of men, and last week we saw Rahab. We'd earlier heard of Sarah, men and women, that the Lord had called for his purposes, that he had graciously given them in one form or another the covenant promise of the gospel, that is the blessing, that is Christ. They had believed that promise. They had kept that covenant. They had trusted in that blessing, that is Christ. And the Lord had counted to them for righteousness. We've seen in this list that none of these people, men or women, were perfect. In fact, last week we looked at a very unlikely saint, Rahab. Today I want us to select of these many that are mentioned, and by the way, there are men mentioned here through the book of Judges and into the books of Samuel and then the kings are not mentioned by name except David, but then there is a reference to the prophets. So you see there's a huge portion of the Old Testament history that is left out. In fact, this particular list stops at 1000 BC. <laughs> so there's another thousand years of God's people living before the coming of Christ in the flesh. And this is summarized in these next few verses which we'll look at next week which talk about some of the things that they endured by faith. The whole point here is pastoral. The writer of Hebrews is giving us what is essentially a sermon and a letter to encourage us in our faith to counsel us to hold to the Lord by faith. And I just can't hardly leave the biography behind without bringing up 
one more. I just, there's several of them mentioned. I just want to talk about one. Samson. Let me talk a little bit about Samson. You know the story well of Samson. It's recorded in the chapters of Judges, the book of Judges 13 through 16. Samson is a man who had an undeniably ambivalent life. He lived his life according to the broad stroke of the call of God and the commission upon him to do what he was called to do. But he was a man given to sin. We see in Samson's life a man who on several occasions was able to break the bonds that was put upon his arms. Two new ropes on one occasion. Two new ropes on another occasion. Seven wet bowstrings on another occasion. Shackles on another occasion. Having his hair woven into a loom, which would see, I would think it would be a little uncomfortable and restraining. And he broke free of all of those bonds by the mighty power of God. What he didn't do was break the bonds of sin and slavery. He was enslaved to his lusts. When he became a man of marriageable age, he selected a woman, not of the covenant family, but of the Philistines. The Philistines were a, a fierce group of people that were both warlike, but also quite settled and refined in five fortress cities. The five lords of the Philistines ruled over that section of Palestine, which was basically the southwest corner of Palestine. In these great cities of Gath and Gaza and Ekron and Ashdod and Ashkelon, these cities that were powerful and built to withstand all of the enemies, and they never were able to be taken over by the Israelites when they conquered Canaan. And so the Philistines remained in Canaan. They were neither expelled nor exterminated. In fact, they thrived in Canaan. And God raised up Samson to do a work for him. Now I want you to follow me. I don't I want to follow through his life very quickly and note a few things that I think will be helpful to us uh, in a, in just in a pastoral way. First of all, one more time we see when God gets ready to do something in Israel, he raises up a baby. <laughs> and in this case, it was a man of the tribe of Dan. By the way, the word Dan means judge. And Samson judged Israel for 20 years. But it was in the midst of a 40-year domination of that part of Palestine by the Palestine by the, the uh, uh, um, uh, Philistines. So it was partial. It was a partial delivery. It wasn't complete. And you see that in his very birth when the Lord came to his father and his mother who was barren and God promised 
a little baby, just like he had done with Isaac and Moses and others that we've seen. God brought forth a little baby. But there's some interesting things about that little baby. God told his mother that through the appearance of the angel of the Lord, that this little boy was to be a Nazarite from his birth to his death. Now the Nazarite vow was a voluntary vow. You took it when you were of age and you would swear to the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow meant that you would have no wine, no consumption of strong drink, that you would not touch unclean things, that you would be very meticulous about all of the cleansing and holiness ritual in the, in the code of the Lord, the Levitical code. And there would be no razor that would come upon the head. There'd be no shaving of the head. This was a special vow that men and women took voluntarily. And it's interesting that even his mother followed the regimen of this vow. And it was given to him. And there's a couple of things in the, in the first uh, part of his life there that are kind of interesting. When uh, the Lord, through the angel, was talking to the mother, his mother, she said, after she had, he had told about the Nazarite vow, he said, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The work of Samson was to be a partial work. It was to be a beginning work. It was to be a work that he was to set out upon, but he would not complete his work in his lifetime. I'm telling you, the life of faith is often like that. You contribute. You take part. You participate. You do sowing, but not, never see the reaping. You pay the price, but sometimes you never see the reward. And that was to be the nature of his life. It's interesting that his father was very interested in what this little boy's uh, life was all about because now his barren wife was going to have a child and the father Manoah is speaking to the angel says, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? That's an interesting question for dad to ask about the little baby boy actually before he was born. What's to be his manner of life? How's he supposed to live his life? And what's to be his mission in life? Oh, that'd be one of the strong arguments I would make against abortion. That even from the womb, before the birth, God has laid out a manner of life and a mission in life for the baby. And the father assumed that it was there and he just wanted to know what it was. Well, I'll tell you what it was in summary. His manner of life was to be a Nazarite before the Lord, the holy of the holies, the sacred of the sacred, the clean of the clean. And he was to be, he was to have a mission. Bear this in mind for a couple of minutes. His mission was to slaughter Philistines. That was his job, it was his mission in life, was to slaughter Philistines. Now you know the story of his life. As I mentioned before, he was shackled by his lust. The Bible says he grew up well and he was blessed of the Lord. Had a good upbringing. Had a good start. But when he became older, he went down to the Philistines and found a wife. 
His family, his mother and father and others, tried to urge him to find a wife from among God's people, from the tribe of Dan perhaps, or at least one of the other tribes of Israel. But instead, the scripture says that he took this woman of Timnah to be his wife, a daughter of the Philistines, and he told his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Oh, that's just a microcosm of what was going on in all of Israel in those days. Men were doing what was right in their own eyes. Now, the interesting thing about this was that his father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At this time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. There is not everything is known Mother and dad were right. Find a wife from among the covenant people. That's good advice. That's universal advice. We should never accept that. <laughs> but there was an exception. Samson was allowed by God to do this because he had a greater purpose in mind. He wanted to be inside the Philistine loop in the circle. He wanted to be in the know. He wanted to be acquainted with people who were acquainted with people who knew the lords of the Philistines so that he might have what ended up to be for quite a few years a undercover, surreptitious, and a seditious kind of relationship with them. He would feast with them. He would party with them. He would hang out with them. He would live with them. He would be part of their culture. And then at the slightest provocation, he would slaughter them. And you know the stories of the slaughters from time to time. The 1,000, the, the 30, then 300, and then 1,000 Philistines at a time. And these were warriors he was fighting against in each of these occasions. They weren't just innocent men. And over and over and over during his life, Samson was able to do these acts of treachery and terror against the Philistines to cow them and to intimidate them and push them back. And for 20 years, he was able to keep them back. And for 20 years, he judged in Israel. He ruled over Israel. But let me suggest to you that he broke every one of the Nazarite vows. There's a big party described in his behavior involving his guest and a riddle and all of that says that he probably broke the vow about wine and strong drink. His behavior, his conversation is very much of that of an inebriated person. On one occasion, he slaughtered with his bare hands a lion, ripped it apart with his bare hands. But then he left the carcass to rot. And when he returned, he found that honeys had made Honeybees had made a, 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 a hive and had honey in that carcass. And the Bible says he just scooped it out with his bare hands. He touched a dead carcass, violating the worst of the cleanliness laws. And then we know in his demise, his head was shaven. The razor came upon his head. If there ever was a failure before the Lord in terms of ethical living, it was Samson. 
It got so bad that on one occasion, after he had lost his wife to deception and treachery, he went down to Gaiath to a prostitute. And the story there was another great demonstrative feat of strength carrying off the iron city gates and walking them from Gath all the way to Hebron, a distance of 40 miles, carried these heavy iron gates and pulled up the support post that went with them. Another intimidating feat for the Philistines. But finally they knew they would have to get him and they called upon, as they had his wife, he went down to the prostitute and there was a third woman in his life, his concubine, Delilah. And with Delilah, they offered her a huge, fabulous sum of money, an unbelievable sum of money in silver. To do what? To seduce him. It's interesting to me, and I may get in trouble for saying this. Can I say this, honey? Okay. She don't even know what I'm going to say. Boy, she trusts me. She didn't seduce him, folks. She nagged him. Did you read the story carefully? Didn't matter, though. She got to him finally. And you know the story of the repeated times in which he was able to be delivered. On those occasions, you'll read a strange thing. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. The mighty works that he did, for the most part, were done by the Spirit of the God in his life and on his life. Here was Samson, a man fallen, enslaved to sin in his passions, bent toward that which was wrong, savage in his character, vindictive and selfish, narcissistic and egomaniacal. I think that's all demonstrably true. But let me suggest to you as I close something about his death. When she shaved his head or had his head shaved and then when they came and he found, he said, I will go out. It's an interesting statement. He said, he said, and she called a man and he shaved the head off the seven locks of his head and she began to torment him and his strength left and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Listen to the next sentence. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That's some of the saddest words in the Bible. Over and over and over the Lord had told Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, Moses, I am with you. And I am sufficient for these things. And in your weakness I am strong. Stand back and see what I will do for you, says the Lord. That's the walking in the life of faith. I think by this point, Samson had lost his faith. He had lost his faith. What faith he had was now diminished to the point to where he felt like, and he understood it all in very carnal terms, I am the power. I'm the strength. It abides in me. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. 
And so when he went out to protect himself, he couldn't. They said they seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze shackles. No ropes this time. You, they haven't had ropes up till now. They bound him with bronze shackles and cast him into this prison. And he ground at the mill in the prison. Isn't that the most pitiful thing you've ever seen? Here he is down there, eyes gouged out defeated, grinding at a mill in a prison house of the godless pagan Philistines. What a shame upon the church. What a shame upon God's people. What a shame upon his own life and his high calling that God had given him. And I don't have any doubt in my mind, although the text didn't say it, I know the way the word, the Spirit of God works in a soul. And I think as he began to grind at that mill, Every day, even though his eyes had been gouged out, there was a tear duct or two that was still there. And I believe tears ran down his face. Tears of bitter, bitter regret and remorse and sorrow and repentance. And every time he would take that millstone around that grain one more time, he would call upon the Lord, Lord, if you'll just give me one more chance. I'm not worthy of that. I have squandered your blessing. I have squandered your gifts. I have driven out your Holy Spirit. I have failed you in every way. I've gone astray. I've fallen. I've failed. Lord, I have nothing but you in this dark mill house in the middle of a prison in shackles in the center of the capital of Gaza. I don't think we can find a more helpless, pathetic place to be. And if Samson had not been in the sovereign purpose of the Lord, he would have stayed there and died, I'm pretty sure. But God had called him, and he that hath begun a work in you will be faithful and will finish it. And so you know the story. They had this big, huge celebration in Gaza with a huge pavilion set up that was structured upon two giant weight-bearing pillars. And 3,000 people, men and women, were there. All represented the chief of the five lords of the Philistines. Were all there with their prime ministers, with their generals, with their captains of their army, their mighty men, their beautiful wives, and all of their favored servants. 3,000 of them gathered in this huge pavilion having a party and they wanted some entertainment and they thought what better entertainment than to make fun of, to ridicule, to rebuke Samson. Bring him out in his shackles and in his blindness and let him stand in the middle of this. Bring him to the very middle and we'll mock him and we'll ridicule him. Oh, I I read my New Testament and I see a scene like that in the New Testament with Christ on the great pavement there in Pilate's Hall 
where everybody gathered around to mock him as he was there bound before Pilate. And they brought him in and they mocked him and they made fun of him and they ridiculed him. And the Bible says he entertained them. He let that go on. The Lord let that go on for a while and finally Samson asked the servant boy that was leading him around said, just put my hands on the pillars, the weight-bearing pillars. And his hands were placed there and the Bible says he put his weight against it and he bowed. He buckled. He was like a heavyweight doing a big full squat in the Olympic Games. His hair had grown back. He hadn't touched a glass of wine. He hadn't been near a dead carcass. But mainly, the Lord now was back with him. And when he shoved those pillars out, that whole pavilion came down. And when it did, it crashed upon everybody. I heard one person say one time, oh, that's terrible, he committed suicide. No, he didn't. He was a warrior. Warriors die in battle. He was in the battle of his lifetime. He went forth without regard to his human life. He had wrecked his human life. It was his eternal life that was at stake now. And in obedience to the Lord and in the power of the Lord's might, he pulled that pavilion down and they all came crashing down. This was his last day. This was his best day. His mission was to begin to destroy the Philistines. His mission in life was to slaughter. He killed more people by number. There are numbers all the way through this book. He killed more people by number that day of the Philistines, five of the houses of, of government, and did something that you don't think about too much unless you kind of put the scriptures together in context. He was the last of the great judges. And he lived about 50 years before King Saul. And remember, King Saul was vexed by the Philistines. And just that act alone weakened the Philistines to the point that where first Saul and then David finally were able to eradicate the dominion of the power of the Philistines and bring about the great peaceful kingdom of, so of Solomon down the road. The Lord was working out a purpose, his purpose in Samson's life. And Samson fulfilled it. On the day of his death, he did something that I think is pretty much what the person of faith can live by. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to God's purpose. That's why Samson made the list. A sinner saved by grace, restored, empowered by the Spirit of God, God finished His work in Samson. What have you done with your life? How many times have you made some of the moves that Samson made? Have you ever been in the place Samson ended up? 
And are you tempted to think all is lost? I've blown it. God has no more use for me. There's nothing else I can do for God or for his kingdom. God's got plans in mind. God has plans, purposes for individuals, for families, for nations, for the whole human race. And their plans and thoughts of good. Samson this day contributed greatly to the salvation of God's people Israel. And more importantly, Samson that day died, went to heaven, and saw the Christ that he alone was trusting.